hit my button. Yes, the red dot is on. We are here. We are on. This is the fall line with Chaos and Company. I'm Dave Capron. I am here with Angela Ross, and we're also here with Kathy Brennan, our new CEO of PSIA AASI Eastern Region. I hope I said that right, Kath, because uh, I know we have to go to the regions now versus the divisions, I believe, right? Well, you know, we're still in flux there, but they're definitely talking more about us being different regions of the country than our own unique division. So I think it's yeah. a good move. But thank you so much for having me. Oh, we're psyched that you're here today. And uh, Angelo, how's it going down there in Southwest PA? Good. It's sunny. It's beautiful yeah. today. It doesn't yeah. look like winter. I know. We all think it's beautiful, but we want to go skiing here soon. Okay. You know, Kathy, you were golfing yesterday. Yeah. yeah. And it was beautiful. It was too nice a day to be golfing in November. Normally, uh, in November, when I play golf, it's supposed to be snowing and the wind is howling and you got long underwear and hats on and not yesterday. It was beautiful. Yeah. This is that funny time of year when everybody dresses like it's winter, but it's way too <laughs> hot for that. So, like, I've been seeing all these people in like wool sweaters mm. mid afternoon. They're just dying, mm. but they don't want to take like their Ugg boots off because they just want it to be winter yeah. so badly. Yeah. 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 Well, it's the wood stove too. I've been, we've been running the wood stove because yeah. we hate to turn the, the oil heat on until we have to, but you can't regulate. It's not cold enough to run it all day. So, it gets so hot in the house. It's like, 78 it's like okay i'd have the air conditioner on right now if it was during the summer <laughs> so, so it's kind of crazy but hey we are here with kathy brennan the new ceo here in the eastern region and uh we wanted to chat a little bit you've been you've started your listening tour already i know and um, part of it i think was talking with the ed staff and you, you've talked to the members this week and uh so we wanted to hit some things and, and go kind of back a little bit where we start with most folks and start right back with your first memory of learning to ski you know and and where you were and who who helped you that first day do you even remember uh i don't remember (laughs) and uh and the reason i don't remember is i just can't remember that far back so um uh my parents were both skiers when they met skiing skiing was a big part of their life and so I was quite literally on skis when I was a year old. Um, I was at my first ski area when I was four weeks old. And, uh, you know, the, I obviously don't remember this story, but according to my mom, they were afraid to bring me in the lodge because there were germs, right? So it was a little tiny ski area, Western Massachusetts, the Springfield Ski Club, Blantford Ski Area. And they would just leave me in the carriage outside. And um, they put a slalom flag beside me. It was all rope toes, seven rope toes, little tiny hill. And and so everybody knew that if I cried, they just waved the flag. My folks would see it. They'd come down and take care of me. And I uh, can't really imagine anyone doing that in today's world. <laughs> That's <laughs> but, awesome. uh, but yeah, they, uh, so um, if it was really cold, there was these two little old ladies that sat in this little A-frame hut and sold tickets. And my mom and dad would slip me in there if it was really, really cold. But for the most part, I was just hanging outside and letting them do their thing. And and then as a year old, I was walking around and they uh, they decided, well, just walking around, we'll put skis on her feet. So they slipped these little wooden skis on my feet that I actually, I still have. Um, Dave knows from the job yeah. interview. I actually showed up at the interview for the CEO job. and. 
they talked about looking for a lifelong passion for snow sports. And these skis were so tiny, they were literally in my briefcase. And uh, so I started with, well, you said you wanted a lifelong passion and yanked the skis out. So these were my first ones. Do do these work? (laughs) So, um, but little rubber boots and Again, don't remember the story, but according to my folks, they were such a pain in the neck to put on in the morning that they put them on in the morning and leave them on all day. So (laughs) inside the lodge, outside the lodge, eating lunch, having my diapers changed, they were just, they were just there on my feet. And, uh, actually, if you guys want, I know, you know, some people listen, they don't always watch you, but I have some pictures. If you wanted me to share some pictures. Yeah. That'd be awesome. It's always some good fun. Um, can you can you share so I can share the right? Uh, there we I go. Think you should have it now. Yep. I got it. Got it. Um, oh, yes. Let's see here. We've got here. Um, <laughs> uh, go away. So. Uh, so this this first shot here, that's obviously my my mom and dad, and that would be me there in the carriage, and that's the parking lot of Blanford, um, mm. nice and muddy in the background, and I love checking out their gear, right? The knickers yeah. and the lace up boots, you know, the double set the laces and the old skis. I'm not sure what skis they've actually got there, but you, know, you can see the old um, what did they call those with the the strap that went around behind your heel oh. and locks you in there. So, I should know. Mickey Stone's going to be mad at me for not knowing. The, yeah. The these things, these things they got around their waist. I actually still have these and uh, they were called, they've been outlawed, but they were called rope toe grippers. Oh. And there was this metal thing um, in, in here um, that what you would do is you would pull it out and it was on a hinge and you would flip it over the rope and kind of it cry, kind of created your very own little paddle that you would hang on to to ride up instead of trying to hang on to the rope with your mittens, which yeah. you can see my dad's there all duct taped together. And um, <laughs> they these things were tied to you. And so they eventually outlawed them because I think people went up and around the bull wheel with them or something. But it was a uh, pretty quite the treat. So, so that's 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 kicking it off. I love this picture. Again, this is me and my dad, and this is kind of where they would have left me out here, the garage gang over here sitting outside. I love the bottle of wine sitting here in this picture because <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was a big part of the, the culture for my folks back in the day. And, and, uh, and uh, so anyways, and this is the picture. This is me on my little skis here. You can see my little red rubber boots. And so I, I, if I mentioned it already, I put them in my office. So they're in my office in Albany. So anybody wants to come visit me, you can check them out because I still have them. And, and, uh, so I really honestly, you know, to go back to your original question, what's my first memory of learning how to ski? I, I really don't remember learning how to ski. Um, I, uh, I can remember literally torturing my ski instructors um, as I got a little bit older. And so that club, I mentioned it's a club and it recent, it closed just a few years ago, but it had been the oldest club that owned and operated its own ski area. They'd been in existence since, you know, they, they, I think they had their 80th anniversary and 
So you can look back at old records and you could see letters from the board, like, should we open because of the war and, you know, needing to be there to support the families back home. And, and, you know, growing up, it was just, it was a great place to, um, to, to go. It was really inexpensive. They do work parties in the fall. So you could go and, you know, you could go paint, um, the bathrooms or build a new deck or go put hay on the trails or whatever you were looking to do. Um, and that was, um, you could work off your membership. So it was a really affordable way for families to get out and ski all winter long. And, and eventually my dad got on the board of directors there. So one of the benefits of being on the board of directors was free ski school lessons. And my dad was on the board. I'd been going there since I was a baby. As far as I was concerned, I owned the place. And like I said, I, I'm pretty certain I absolutely tortured my instructors. I, I can remember one instructor. He was, he was Mark with a C. I don't know what his actual name was, but Mark with a C. And I will never forget that. He had, I must have taken a ton of lessons with him. And there was another woman, a girl probably that I took lessons with. And, um, it was, remember the Heinz, was it Heinz commercial that talked about, um, was anticipation. Oh, yeah. yeah. Song. Well, and at the time, anticipation and skiing was like a thing that you would do, right? And, and, and so every time she would say anticipation, myself and my friends would all stand there on the sidelines and start singing anticipation. And I'm sure she was just like, <laughs> Man. So, you know, for me, um, any lesson I have that is even remotely challenging, I figure is payback for something <laughs> I did to one of those people a million years ago. So, yeah. So that that's, is so awesome. That's my, that's my start. That's how I got hooked. So. And, and after you were hooked, when did you start? Because I think you started at Wachusa, right? Was that where you started teaching skiing? No, like, actually, I started teaching at Blanford. Yeah. At Blanford. Okay. At Blanford. Yeah. So, when I was 15, 16 years old. And uh, it uh, just, it didn't work out to race. My, we lived kind of far away. My high school didn't have a race team. I never really got in the racing, whatever. Um, and, you know, I got to be 15, 16 years old and, I wanted a job and I was a good skier. And so you tried out, right? It was a competitive tryout to, to get into the ski school. And I was fortunate enough to be selected. And uh, Bob Savard, who was our snow sports director, amazing man. Uh, we lost him way, way too soon. Uh, but Blanford didn't have any snowmaking. And so we were out in December, November, learning how to teach people how to ski. And we had, uh, we would hope for like a heavy frost, but literally we were out sliding around on grass. And I can remember, I still, there's things that he taught me that I still remember and use to this day. And he, he really hooked me. Um, and then there was this older gentleman, Tony, Tony Lysak. And he had Tony's Tigers, which were all like the three, four and five year olds, four and five year olds. I don't know. And so I ended up working for him, teaching those little kids on the baby bumps, literally 
pumps that they learn on. And I just, I loved it. My mom had been a school teacher and maybe some of that kind of teacher stuff rubbed off. And uh, it just, it was so much fun to be out there on the hill, getting people excited about skiing. And, and so that was, that's what set the hook. And I, I've taken some years off here and there for different reasons, but pretty much have taught most of my life. I, I didn't even know. I mean, all the stuff we've done the last 20 years with Ed staff and I didn't know that I, I really thought the uh, start of teaching was at, at uh, Wachusett. So that's cool to know. That's an awesome story, man. I, I love that looking back where so many of us started when there was no snowmaking, yeah. you know, waiting for the snow and getting on the grass. I mean, skiing at Mount Whittier here when I was a kid was just, you know, there was no snowmaking and there was no tillers. It was just drags behind the, the old rollers. Grass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was like we, we at the end of the season, you, you hit mud or grass, you just lean back, you know, and exactly. you know, didn't, didn't want to pop out of those heels, crank the bindings down. <laughs> yeah. when, I to, when I went off to college, um, it was too tricky to teach. That was one of those mm-hmm. absences I took. I was going to school just outside of Boston. And I, so I got a job working for a ski shop, which was awesome. I was the first woman they had ever hired to sell hard goods. And it took a while. You know, people were kind of like, oh, I want to talk to him over there. And um, But eventually they figured out that I, I kind of knew what I was talking about. And, uh, you know, having that experience, having taught skiing for just a few years, but a few years before I got to college and gave me enough of an understanding about what would be good choices for people for their equipment. And and so um learning all about the equipment, the ins and outs, learning, you know, boot fitting and things like that. And so that was, that was a cool experience through college. And that's what hooked me on New Hampshire, actually, because a bunch of the guys in the shop that I worked with, they all um, had a house up at Cannon. And so when I wasn't in classes and I wasn't working for the shop, we were coming up to this neck of the woods and skiing Cannon. And that's where my love of New Hampshire came from. And then after college i i was working uh in the boston area and wanted to get back into teaching and that's what that's what brought me to wachusett then and okay. so yeah because was it wachusett to loon is that how that yeah. progression went yeah, yeah i did yeah. two yeah. years one year full-time one year part-time at wachusett um and then uh up part-time up at loon i had um lisa Siegel, who is one of our great examiners, a wonderful woman on our staff. She and I had been friends for a while because of that kind of circle of friends from New Hampshire. And I was looking for a place to teach on weekends. And so I reached out to Lisa. She was the technical director at Loon. And not only did she give me, you know, a job, but she also gave me a place to stay. So I roomed with her and her family for many years. And, um, and so she she brought me up to Loon. I was at Loon for 13 years. Um, the last couple of years, just switching over to full time, and then moved from Loon to Waterville, where I've been now about 15 years. So yeah, that's awesome. And um, as you made Dev Team, I, we we had some fun and fun summer trips to Mount Hood, and um, we we do have some secrets of that. What happens at Hood stays <laughs> at Hood. There's right. something, but. <laughs> <laughs> but but I wanted to ask about the summer trips because I mean I know why I went and um and for some personal goals and trying to get but but I mean 
it, it kind of, to me, those summer trips when you were on dev team and moving up through the ranks there when you first came on the ed staff was, was kind of epitomizes how you always are working harder to get better, how you're trying to improve on the snow and off the snow. And I just, I just wanted to ask you about um, how important do you think that summertime skiing was for you and, and, and how hard you worked off snow and, and during the off time, which is our summertime. Uh, you know, those summer trips, they're so important. And, you know, so if anyone who's listening to this gets a chance to go to Hood for, for race training or freestyle training or gets to go to um, Australia, New Zealand, South America, been to Portillo a bunch of times, um, Argentina, it just, it keeps you connected to your movement patterns that you develop during the winter. And so the summer doesn't feel so long anymore. Um, you feel like, yeah, you have one rusty day, but boom, you're back into it. And then when you come back, you know, for the regular season, again, you're out there for a half a day and you're like, oh, yep, this is how we do it. And I really feel as though those summer trips um, just had a huge impact in helping me to propel my skiing and, and my understanding of the sport forward. And, you know, for me, what what drives me, um, you know, I think it was something my dad said years ago and it just sort of stuck with me. And if, you know, the task is once begun, never leave it till it's done, be the labor great or small, do it well or not at all. And that's, that's sort of been my approach to things that I tackle. And, and, you know, as a part-timer, um, even when I went for my level three uh, as a part-timer, I was really honestly convinced I was not going to get my level three. To me, the level three was for those people who are full-time in the industry. They've made this their career. They're out there all day, every day. They're working on their craft. They're working on their teaching and their movement analysis skills and their skiing and riding skills. And, and as a part-timer, I just wasn't sure that I I could cut it. Um, and thankfully at Lewin, I was surrounded by some great folks and Lisa Siegel and Matt and Jeb Boyd and, uh, Peter Weber and Tom Hawes and a bunch of other folks. And they really encouraged me. They, they, you know, they really supported my training and thought that, you know, I should give it a try. And, and so when I was successful at my level three, it was, that was huge, huge accomplishment for me. And, but then I was kind of like, all right, well, I'm, I'm done. You know, there's nothing more for me. Um, and I just, I like having that carrot out there to keep kind of motivating me to work at it and get better. And, and so then, you know, they started to talk to me about the idea of trying out for dev team. And, and I'll, I'll admit, I went to a dev team prep and one of the clinicians at the prep was like, well, why are you even here? You're part time. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess we shouldn't be here. <laughs> but undaunted, I, uh, um, you know, I, I decided to go and, and give it a try. And I, again, I was so fortunate. I, I got selected at my first tryout. Um, I was really lucky. And, um, but I was, so I, I'm still kind of nervous about being good enough for our members, you know, wanting to be sure I'm, projecting the proper image and and that I really understand what I'm talking about. And so that that um that responsibility that you feel to 
do a good job is is one of the key things that keeps driving me. So when I made that dev team, I was like, damn, I, I got to get better at this. <laughs> and so um, looking for any opportunities that I could find that were going to help improve my skills and my knowledge. And yeah, that, so to, to, like I said, to anyone out there, it's a game changer. Find a way to do it if you can. I, I miss going on summer. We went, I don't know, quite a few summers there. That was just awesome. And every time I see Dave Gregory's post on his peak performance camps, I'm like, oh, I wish I could go. And it's amazing how sometimes life changes. And you're like, I just want to change this so I can go again. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> so yep. never know. Maybe it's in the cards again. In the Portillo trip, I didn't get to, I haven't done that. I know you've done that, I think, a couple of times. And that's one I do want to do late August, early September. I've got to try to put that on. And yeah. I mean, we tried the big, big snow trip. We even tried to go to big snow and I'm so hey. bummed out that we missed that with the crew and um, kind of bummed out that they're not able to get open yet. So hopefully they can get open soon, but any sliding is good sliding, especially during the summer and, exactly. and talking about sliding, you know, I know a lot of people out there, I've heard it, um, you know, taking the CEO job, you know, people aren't going to see Kathy out there probably the 40, 50 days they've been seeing her the last few years. But I know that you're still going to be doing some ed events, going to be out there a little bit. Um, you know, just just um, tell us a little bit about what you're thinking about there in terms of because um, I know you don't want to get stagnant. You were just talking about it. you got to keep going. And, you know, what are you thinking about with some of the ed events? Do you have some choices? Are you going to do some see meet the CEO or are you just going to jump into regular ed events? Uh, so I'm, I'm thinking of a, a couple of different approaches. So um, one of the things that I've been talking about is doing this listening tour um, and getting around and visiting all of the different parts of our division. And so I'm in the process right now of mapping out that schedule. I have a, I'll show you in a second. <laughs> She's probably got a big, huge chart and all the resorts. Look at it. There it is. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Visual That's awesome. Yeah. So I, I got that um, picture and I got my little push pins and uh, I'm going to mark all the different spots that I get to. Um, and probably I'm not going to get to all of them this year. Uh, but the goal is definitely to get around to the division. And so looking at opportunities, uh, you know, we've got the Women of Winter event going on at Wyndham this year. We've got the Women's Summit up at Stowe. Those are definitely two events that I want to get to. Um, but it's also not even just the alpine disciplines, but making sure that I'm out at the, the snowboard and the telly and the cross country areas in our division. And, and as I'm out on this listening tour, the goal is to get a chance to talk to, um, not only our members, but our non-members or former members or talk to some of our industry partners, the patrol or the race teams or the GMs or the owners and, and trying to figure out you know, what can we do as an organization that's going to improve the value to them and um, and trying to, you know, just gather some information this season to see what we can do in the future seasons to, to deliver a better set of programs and a better experience as a member. And, and I'm hoping that a lot of those things are going to happen on snow. We don't really want to travel all around yeah, two ski areas and sit in people's office. That would not, not really work for me. So... I'm hoping to marry them with some of our events and then get out with some of the groups during those events, like ProJam, the Snow Sports Management Seminar. And uh, But I'm also hoping to do some events myself. Like one of the things that's really important to me is 
is helping um, to develop our future leaders. And so I'm, I'm imagining some kind of leadership clinics out there. And, you know, whether it's myself or Sue Kramer or Bonnie Colbert or Troy, um, you know, that we're out there and, and trying to tap into folks that have made this a life choice and, and trying to help them to get to the next step in their development. And so I would like to kind of put some of those events just specifically on the calendar for the season. Um, so yeah, so again, the pressure's on, right? Everybody's gonna be watching. <laughs> She's the CEO, yeah. you know, yeah. gotta be sure I'm delivering out there. So I you know I think your question was, am I gonna keep working on things? What am I working on? And yeah. um, you know, I spend a lot of time on groomed terrain and just because of the nature of the work I do and the resorts that I'm at. Um and so I always feel less comfortable in anything off piece, any bumps. And so that's always the area I'm pushing myself. But I think I was listening to one of your podcasts. I don't remember who you were talking to. It might have been Dave Wynn. And you, know, you were describing, I think, Dave, how you go out with a clinic group and they go down, they see the same run, the same side of the run, right? Yeah. And forcing them to mix it up, go the other side, change their turn shape. And and that's something I really try to do. Try to, you know, encourage myself to not take the same path down, to mix up my turn shapes. I know I should do it more. I'm, I'm sure everyone's like, yeah, Kathy, you only make one turn. But I, I, it's not something that I'm not thinking of. Um, and, you know, pushing myself. I went to National Academy last year. I plan on going again this year. Those events, um, it's just a tremendous opportunity to, we spend so much of our year giving to other people. And those events are a great opportunity to take that moment, say, hey, you know, this time it's all about me. And what am I going to do? What am I going to think about that's going to, going to help me to, to develop? So. Yeah. Angelo, he's, he's shaking. I know he's, he loves when we get into the personal growth. I know it. Here it comes. <laughs> I, I, I just, I don't know, just a lot to say. You know, I think that, that connection, that connection for a leader to the actual product is hugely important. And what we, what we sell is on the snow. Contrary to popular belief over the past year and a half, what we sell is not Zoom calls, but, you know, and, and I, I'm just, I'm really glad that you're going to be out there, Kathy, that, you know, the absentee leadership in any, in any business just isn't, isn't the ideal model. And I think it's, uh, uh, you know, to hear you talk about that time when you were working on level three and working on dev team in those, those years and that reality of being a part-timer looking up at those goals is, is real that's a really intimidating time that was a really intimidating time for me um and my kathy brennan story is that i i wouldn't have been i would still be a school teacher if not for kathy brennan <laughs> that wasn't meant as a disparagement i'm not blaming her for leaving <laughs> but i'm thanking her but no but um mm. kathy's legit and i i just think as a region as a as a nation we're really really lucky to have her leadership have your leadership Kathy, it's just, uh, it comes from a real place, you know, um, and some of the people you mentioned who are full-time and have made that commitment, that, that was, that was huge for me. So she, you know, if those of you who are listening, who, who haven't met Kathy, if you get the opportunity, you know, you, you should take it. And then, and now I'm going to put the plug in because I don't know where you're going to be on January 8th and 9th, 
but we're having a Telepalooza festival at Seven Springs. We'd love to have you down here for that. Um, and I know you're, you got certified. T- Speaking of legit, right? Real deal, Kathy, for all she's achieved in Alpine, you can talk about this, Kathy, the, your telecert a couple of years ago just to push yourself. But we're having a big event down here in early January. Uh, Keith Rodney's coming, Jim Shaw's coming, Jay Nation, trying to get Dave Capron, but I don't know. Like, we might have to fly him in. He's hugely important. <laughs> get him down from yeah, right. Russia. But, yeah. um, do, you mind, do you mind talking about... Um, do you mind talking about for a minute? I know you weren't planning on this maybe, but um, how you talked about what summer skiing does to your, for your understanding of, of the sliding sports, but what, what has, what's your telly, what's your telly research done for your Alpine and, and maybe vice versa over the last couple I, of years? Absolutely. You know, same, same deal. And, and maybe you know, Dave's up in my neck of the woods. Maybe I can throw him in the Volkswagen and we can we yes. drive on down yeah, I, I want you carpooling, and if my member dudes are going for that car, I want you and Dave and the dog all splitting gas costs on that. <laughs> <laughs> perfect, perfect. Um, yeah, no, I got to spend a day last year. I, you know, Dave and uh, Charlie Roy and I went out for the a day to practice my tele skills because I'm not done. I, I, I got my level one. I really love to get my level two. Um, I know, I know all the listeners out there would love to see me on a snowboard more. I, I have snowboarded. Um, one, one February years ago, I was working with Matt Boyd and we were coming up on a February vacation week and we're looking at the schedule and the two of us are shaking our heads going, we do not have enough riders to survive February vacation week. So, uh, I think that, I think the day before, I think it was actually Eric Wright who's on our staff. I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure it was Eric took us out. The day before February vacation, we taught us both how to ride. Uh, we got good enough that we were on like a blue trail at Loon. And then I, I think it was at least two or three snowboard lessons I tossed that week. Um, and uh, so, but it's just, it's so hard. There's just not enough hours in the day to to get good in all those different disciplines. I am so impressed by people who are able to jump like you, Angela, you're able to jump between those different disciplines so easily or Dave between telly and Alpine. And it's just amazing to me. And so, but yeah, getting better at telly. Um, there's to, to me and, and Dave, you can, you'll, you'll, cor- you'll correct me when I say something stupid. <laughs> um, okay. But, um, you know, the the way you have to find your balance when you don't have that heel piece locked in, right? And the way you need to continually move, right? In my mind, when I get stagnant in telly, that's when things go south. And and that's when things go south in my alpine skate, right? When I just sort of park and ride on my equipment. And and so, but it's so much more important in the telly to, to keep that moving. And when those movements happen, and I kind of have a more old school kind of, I'm a little late in when I do my transition and need to get better at that, need to break that habit. Um, cause when you do, it, it just everything connects so much better. And so to, to go out on your telly gear, not only from a skill development standpoint, but you know, the, we are across all of the disciplines. There are so many more similarities than there are differences. And we can just pull on those to get better at all of the different sports. But then the other piece is from our, from our teaching skills piece to put ourselves back onto 
um, different equipment. And suddenly terrain that we were extremely comfortable with is now a little scary. And, you know, it kind of it helps you empathize. It helps you remember what your, your customers are going through. And, and those are really important skills when we're out there trying to help our guests feel like they belong there. You know, if we're, we're not empathizing with what they're going through. They're, they feel like they're, they're not part of our club, that they don't fit in. And, and so, um, again, it's really important to try those other things. And Angelo wants that he wants all of us down there for that big teleplova too. He's been bugging me. We'd love to have you all down here for that. It'd be terrific. Yeah. And yeah. and then and then in addition to the the biomechanics, like I just I love what I learn about skiing and and snow sports as a whole from the culture of telemark. I think you know I think alpine and snowboard and tele all have distinctly different cultures and I, I, for better or for worse, I mean, they're going to, to a degree, I think, but I love going to hang out with a bunch of, bunch of tele skiers or love going to hang out with the snowboarders because it's, it's just different, you know? And I, I feel like, you know, they approach, they, we, I, I do all those things. Those cultures approach the industry from a different place. You know, and it's super cool to just, and I think it makes your understanding of it richer when you, you hang out with all those different groups. There's a, it's definitely a people slash affective slash cultural bit to all those that I think everybody should try to experience. Yeah. And that, and that kind of leads right into, to Interski Angela. I mean, that's something I want to talk with Kathy about because Kathy's, you know, on her own, been a delegate at the last two Interskis. And, and not a lot of people do that. And you went and did that. And not just the cultures here. Of all, I mean, all of our disciplines go and all the disciplines from the other countries, but it's worldwide. And I'm just curious as to, um, you know, how has that continued to inspire you? What was something unbelievable? Was it the last one, the one before? I mean, was, was there anything inspiring? There had to be something. Uh, another great event if you ever get a chance to participate in it. Um, I, like you said, I've been to two of them. Actually, actually not back to back. Um, yeah. I oh, went okay. a bunch of years ago to Austria, which is Austria, right? <laughs> so <laughs> I, I love Austria and it's an amazing place. Um, and what a spectacular event. Um, and then the next one was in Argentina. And that actually fell during the summertime. And for those of you out there who know, prior to taking over the CEO job, I worked with Matt and Jet Boyd at the water park. And so they're down there because they're on the team. And somebody had to be back at home uh, making sure the park was still running. So <laughs> I did not I did not go down to Argentina for that one. But I did go to the last one in Bulgaria, uh, which was amazing as well. Um and, you know, just Bulgaria, the skiing was very similar, I think, to Eastern skiing. I felt like an Eastern-type resort, uh, but obviously it's such a different culture. Uh, and so that was a cool environment to be in. And, um, and I am I am ready to go to Finland. Absolutely. Sign me up. I can't wait to go to Levy. It should be spectacular. Um, uh, that was definitely a question I had. Are you going to Levy? Yeah, yeah. But awesome. um, you know, things that I took away from it, each each of those two experiences was very different uh for me. Um 
you know, and it's it's an amazing opportunity with all these different nations coming together, all passionate about skiing, and and so there's great fun, and and you know, you you have these great sessions that you go to as a delegate. You get to um, go, and it's it's not about your own skiing. It's not like going to a pro jam or a national academy where you're going to go out with someone and they're going to make you a better skier. It, it's if anyone goes thinking that you're going to be terribly disappointed. Um, as a delegate like myself, not a team member, you spend a lot of time watching the teams ski when they're doing their demos. And then when they run their sessions, often the sessions are huge groups. You might be in a group of 20 or 30 people um, all moving down the hill. And, and they're sharing with you kind of the things that they believe in in terms of teaching um, the, teaching their discipline. And so it's it's really about that share and exchange and not about your own skiing improvement. And so Austria, what Austria did for me, which I thought was really important, was to get a chance to go out with some amazing folks from incredible Alpine nations, you know, the Swiss and the Austrians and and, and the Germans, and to listen to how they approach the beginner lesson. And I was really surprised at how some of the nations really had an edge pressure focus, you know, put people into that big breaking wedge and pressed on the leg. I mean, one country even, you know, you put your hands on your leg and pushed on it to get that ski to come around it. And what it really required me to do is to ask myself, what do I believe in? What, you know, the American system is different. We focus on a smaller ledge and flatter seeds, you guys know, and, and leg steering. And so I really had to ask myself, well, why do we do this when these other amazing Alpine nations are, are taking a different approach? And, and for me, um, to think about how a student progresses. And, you know, absolutely, that big wedge and pressing on that edge, that will make that ski come around, no doubt about it, right? But, but then you end up with that hard edge. You end up with your feet being away from you. Um, and so how often do we see people that have that little stem or that little press that's as part of every turn because they want that little safety mechanism? And, for us, if we can get somebody going with that smaller ledge and the leg steering, that move from those early turns into a parallel steer is so much more fluid. It doesn't get caught up with some of those racy, um, more difficult moves, right? So uh, that was so to be able to decide what was important to me, but then to be able to defend it say, this is what I believe in and why. And and don't get me wrong. I mean, if I have a big group of kids or an international group and one person in that group is really struggling, you know, they're just not making these nice flat turns, you know, I, I will I will have them go into a wedge and push on that ski because they might then be able to keep up with their friends and they might actually decide that they like the sport versus giving up. And I could always fix them later. But that's not, after that experience in Austria, that's not my go-to move. My go-to move is to promote, um, like I said, that that flatter speed, the narrow wedge, the leg steering, the turn to a stop. And, and so that was, that was a cool thing for me to process and realize. Nobody told me that. Nobody 
gave me that information. It was just something I took away from that experience and decided. And another really big takeaway I took from the Austrians was um, we were, they were talking about um, training young kids to race. And they were describing that they put the race courses on flat, flat, flat terrain. And the reason that they do that is because they want to teach those kids to seek speed. Right? They want them driving for that finish line. And so often, I, you know, I see it here in the East, our race kids are on, you know, the steeper the race trail, right? And they end up with those defensive moves, right? That become part of their habit that they've got to undo. And so I thought that that was really a brilliant piece of advice. And I use that actually a lot um, when I'm, when I have parents that are trying to push their kids further up the hill. And I'll share with them that story. And maybe it's because I'm talking about Austrians. It gives them cloud or something and they buy into it. But, you know, it, it makes sense, right? I want to teach them to go down the hill, to take it down the hill. Um, as Pete Weber likes to say, people come to learn how to go skiing, not to stop skiing, right? So let's let's get that movement going down the hill. So that was, that was Austria. Um, and then... Eight years later, Bulgaria was was very different. Um, it was interesting how many of the nations were talking about um, being more student centered. And, you know, all of us from the United States are like, yeah, we've been talking about that since the 60s. Right. Um, but it's to have so many of the other nations that in the past were, nope, this is the way you do it. Um, and now. Like, for example, I had a conversation with a team member from the Swiss team, and she was describing that they were losing customers in their upper-level lessons and realized that they had to focus more on what the student wanted in order to try to keep those keep those lessons, get people to want to continue to participate with them. And, and you know, obviously, the U.S. showed up with our teaching and people skills and the learning connection model and just, you know... Just knocked it out of the park. We, it just was such an impressive program, created so much excitement and energy. And, you know, and it was the right time for it. Everybody's really starting to think about that. And, um, so it was, it was really cool to, to listen to those different conversations, to hear about those things. And, and, uh, I share a conversation. I can't remember who it was with now, but I was describing, um, something that we put in place in Waterville a couple of years ago is, um, I had always learned when you were teaching that you would teach to the slowest member of the group. And one of the things we did a couple of years ago at Waterville is we made the conscious decision to teach to the majority of the group while ensuring that everybody stayed safe. And so if a bunch of people in the group were getting it and they were, they were, you know, ready to move further up the hill, well, that's what we made happen. And if that meant I had to have somebody work on their own at the bottom part of the hill or I had to bring another instructor over and split that class out, that was what we did. But you know, what we realized is that the, the people who were getting it, they're likely to become the lifelong skiers. The people who are struggling, they might. They might, if we're really patient with them, they might become the lifelong skier. I don't want to, I certainly want to give up on them. But the odds of them really deciding this is what they want to do are probably a little bit lower. But 
those folks that we more or less ignored because they were getting it, are they ever going to take lessons again? Probably not, right? Because we, we didn't engage them. We didn't connect with them. We didn't allow them to do the things that they wanted to do to, to make the strides that they needed to make. And, and that was something that, like I said, came out of that, that Bulgarian listening to this woman from the Swiss team and, you know, why are we losing these upper level lessons? And, you know, are we doing a good enough job to connect to that person in the lesson to understand what their goals are versus what our goals are? And to find a way that to, to say yes, find a way so that we can help them to develop the way they're looking to develop. And, and I think, you know, in the United States, we've done a great job with that, those people skills. Um, but it's always been, you know, we've always kind of gone back to the, the, the folks that are going the slowest. And I think that, you know, shifting our mindset a little bit there, making sure that we recognize everybody in that lesson is important to us and everybody we've got to figure out how to teach all those different people um i think that maybe that'll help us to attract more of those upper level lessons get them coming back for another one that was a long answer sorry <laughs> that was a good one <laughs> it's so cool though to hear you know kathy i'm sitting here listening to you talk about your belief system as a result of what you saw these other nations, how they approach beginner stuff. It's true, like not to get all nerdy, like, but it's self-actualization. Like you, you're in a position with skiing that you can evaluate and, and assess and, and, and synthesize and defend and all these high level things that really come with that experience and that commitment. And I, I'm the whole time you're talking about that. I'm remembering what you said about, when you were at that level three dev team phase where you're questioning, you know, your ability to do this. But it, it I think it does take a commitment like you made to self-actualize. And, and and it's it's just it's impressive. Like I think, you know, I think folks who are listening, if they haven't figured out by now that you're the real deal, like they you're she's the real deal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's what I think. You know, thank you. She has the spark. <laughs> yeah, and she, yeah. but she gives it to other people. Like, and I can say that because mm -hmm. she was my dev team coach, and and yeah. did that to that dev team. You know what I mean? Like, yes. just hit us all kind of where we were. Sometimes right between the eyes, like you know, like I remember at Hollymont one time. Think I'm making good turns. She was in front of me, and we get to the bottom and gave me feedback. Well, how the hell did you see me? That you have one of those little mirrors on the bicyclist wear, and she's like, "Oh my god, what are you doing with your pelvis?" But it, no, I mean it. It's just the she, Kathy's the whole package. We're just I'm yeah. super lucky, you know. Yeah, we we are, and I, I think the dev team. You know, I don't think I know they're in a lot of ways disappointed right now, Kathy. But I I haven't told them right out. But I mean those those that crew is still going to see you. I mean, I think people don't realize, I mean, we'll see you at Ed staff training. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you're on the Ed staff. You'll be there. I um, be there and well. I, and I guarantee throughout the year that when you find time in your CEO schedule, you're going to see those dev teamers, ETS members. I think that that's something that you bring to the table that I, I feel that you want to do. Um, well, you know, you know, that's where I want to put a disclaimer on it. So no one out there holds you to anything. That um, I'm just curious, like 
you, you probably have some thoughts. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty passionate about our staff. Our staff's pretty cool. Um, a great room to sit in with the Alpine, also with the Tele. Um, and, and um, you know, we have great snowboard examiners and Ed staff and dev teamers and um, adaptive cross country. Um, what are some of your, your wants, your desires? Like I ask in terms of like interski. I know it'd be awesome to have an endless budget and say, hey, I'm taking 10 people to interski. I want them to go to Levi. And I know that's not necessarily unless we hit the mega bucks here. But I mean, are there some thoughts in your mind of like, how can I develop things for our staff to have some of the experiences I went out and did? How do I encourage them? How do I create things? Is there some thoughts there? or And nobody out there, our listeners, should hold you like Kathy said on their podcast, she's going to do this. I'm kind of thinking dream world. Like, yeah. what would you love to do with some of the staff if you could? But yeah, you know, you, you mentioned interski. Um, a year ago, I actually gave like the interski application package to Waterville Valley. Um, because honestly, I think it would be a great place to host it. And, and people in the States have tried to host it before, but it was always a big challenge um, because we're, you know, you, you go to these other countries and it's actually, those events are funded by the government of the country. Um, and if we were to do it here in the States, it would really be a resort taking on the, the cost of that. And I'm sure it's not, um, I'm sure it's a big deal to do that. Uh, so, um, but I, I really think that because Waterville Valley, um, because of the nature of the hill and because the, the resort kind of owns the whole, whole little town there, but, you know, maybe they could actually make it fly. So wouldn't that be cool if we got an interski yeah. back in the United States? So, but that's, that's big dream and stuff, but the, and things I have zero control over. So, um, <laughs> but, you know, uh, just the little things for the staff and members, um, you know, I would like to see if, we, I, you know, I haven't talked to, to Michael or, or Robin, but I would love to see if we could put another staff trip back down to Portio. Um, I think that that would be a great opportunity for us as a staff to train. Um, I know the folks who did get to go got so much out of our time that we spent down there. Um, and, you know, it's, it's not an inexpensive trip. It's not something that, you know, everybody can choose to do, but there's ways you can make it more inexpensive by opting for more rustic lodging and and meal options and things like that. So there's ways that you can you can do it. And so something like that would be cool. Um, for the for the members, um, one of the things that I would love to try to find is, you know, I, thinking about our, our next core group. And I think back to my development coming up through the ranks and um you know, Pro Jam was a huge event for me. I just, I loved it. It was worth it to me to take a week of my vacation to go and ski. Um, and I was surrounded by like-minded people, uh, similar, you know, similar age and similar interests. And we just, you know, we had a ball. And it, it was the incentive was to go back again and again. And, and I think, you know, part of the challenge right now is, the group that like me who's been doing that for years right they you know they're getting a little bit older let's just say it and so when our younger folks go they have a blast you know, you talk to them they've had a fantastic time but are they are they surrounded with people of their their own age and their own interests like i was back and like all those people that are in that room right now were 30 years ago when they started doing that 
And so I'd like to come up with a next core event just for them that in 30 years, they're going to be the old people in the room. And we're going to have to find something new for the new batch that's coming in. And, you know, we've tried some things. I proposed something a couple of years ago, like over spring break. Um, and, you know, just, just targeting that next core age group in just a couple of days. But it just word didn't get out. Um, I don't know if people didn't hear about it or just the timing wasn't right. But I would really love to, as I'm part of this listening tour, I'd like to find out if there's a way we could make an event like that work for them. Because I think that helps create that sense of community, that sense of belonging, the connection to our organization. And you, know, you, you go, hey, that was an awesome bit. You bring a couple of friends with you the next year. And then the next year, they all bring some friends. And it just, it builds upon itself. So. Um, that's something that I'd like to see, uh, happen. Um, trying to, I had a couple of other ideas. I told you I had taken some notes, but I don't know where my notes are right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. I think that's a bunch right there. I just, I, I just want people to kind of get the perspective. I think you have a very open mind as to, and as you've talked, as you went through the interview process and through the discussions with the staff and the members that, you know, things will evolve. It's like, this isn't set in stone. You you have a plan, but the plan has room to grow or as you find things out or what we can functionally do. Because sometimes we have dream world of like, we should do this. And then when you look at it, it's not always that easy. And that's yeah. we found that a lot with our e-learning and, and some of that. And I know you, you might have some thoughts there, but that's a challenging format for a lot of us. Um, I know for me here, like just Wi-Fi wise to do some certain things. Mm. Um, but is is that going to be somewhere we explore as a region some of our e-learning stuff and other formats of snow do you do you foresee some things there growing well you know yes and no um and, and the reason i say that is because i think one of the things that we've learned over the years is to to do the things that we're good at right and and so maybe maybe that the e-learning piece is us partnering with other people that are the experts, but I, we've got to be careful when we start venturing down some of these avenues and that, you know, there are probably better people to be talking about some of these topics than us. And, you know, as an example, I think in our, that education, um, the, the, um, the exercise program that was done last year, yeah. exceptional program, what was it, five weeks of and we had a bunch of different people sharing ideas through Kramer, Josh Hagen. Um, I think Margie King was uh, involved in that. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, Margie King is an example. Um, I don't, I can't remember her exact title besides godlike um, in her knowledge yeah, of much. physical therapy and the body and skiing and movement. And, but, to get exposed to someone with that kind of knowledge of how our body works and also of, of how to ski or ride is so valuable. And you know, it's just, I can remember talking to students in the past about, you know, they wanted to be able to ski on one ski. And I was like, well, can you stand on one leg in your sneakers and flex and extend and not fall over? And you know, because that's step one. Because if you can't do that standing in a barefoot or in a sneaker on flat ground, not moving down a slippery surface and flex and extend, then the odds of being able to do that while you're skiing are, are pretty minimal. 
right? Um, but then you talk to someone like Margie, and she talks about how the body is all interconnected and these little tiny, you know, you, you know, I've got a, a bad knee and a bad shoulder and a bad foot, and and all of that affects how I stand, and so therefore affects how I can release and engage a speed. And so to be able to understand that about yourself, but also to be able to share that with your students is is great. And so I think, you know, to be able to offer more things like that or, or boot fitting. I went and did the master fit boot fitter course a couple of years ago, not because I wanted to be a boot fitter, but because I wanted to understand what boot fitters do and, and what are they talking about? What kind of, how do they set things up? And, and so, you know, maybe it's not necessarily things that we actually offer, but maybe it's us making those recommendations and those connections to allow our membership and our staff to get, you know, more versed in some of these different topics. Yeah. And um, as Angelo sits there, this kind of goes right off of that. Angelo's got his one team shirt on there, his sweatshirt. And, um, you know, that's what you're talking about here. I think the one team that you're promoting goes beyond just our ed staff. It goes to those partners, those people you're trying to go out to. And um, I think that's awesome that we're, we're trying to do that to, to reach our industry partners and, and different people we may not even know to be able to partner with us to make us all better. And I, and I, I think that's an awesome thing you're doing. And uh, I know Angelo has been very excited about it as an educator, uh, Angelo. It's just the right thing to do. You know, it, you, you have to, you have to come to grips with the fact that you don't know everything and then build relationships with the folks who do and then just bring it all together. That's how it works, you know? Yeah. And, and you know, um, one of the, one of the events I did, um, it's a couple of years ago, I think for last year, I don't, it's all blur, but, um, I, we, you know, we offer a member customized event. And so I was talking with a group of people. They wanted to ski with me, but they were like, quite frankly, Kathy, we don't want to ski in the afternoon. It, the light gets flat, the conditions get nasty. And so we agreed as a group that in the afternoon, we would go cross-country skiing. And so we were at Waterville. Waterville has great cross-country trails. And so we we skied in the morning. At, we ate our lunch. Then we had arranged in advance to get the rental gear, went down to um, put on our cross-country gear. And I'm not a cross-country skier, uh, but it didn't matter, right? Because those fundamentals are so close, right? And so we were able to take things we've been working on on the hill and translate that onto cross-country skiing. And then the next morning, we got back on our skis and we were able to take, you know, the movements, the skating movements, the striding movements, the balancing movements, and, and apply those back into our skiing on the hill. And, and, you know, not only was it an amazing educational experience for everybody, we had a blast. Some people who really hadn't cross-country skied had a chance to be like, hey, this is a cool sport and great resource right here in town. So now all of a sudden their their eyes are opened up to some other opportunities. And, and so I would like to see more kind of crossover opportunities like that where we get different ed staff people from different disciplines working together that we offer kind of these multidiscipline options. I think, um, you know, there's always challenges of equipment and staffing and things like that, but um, it's all, we are all part of that one team. And the more we can work together, the more we can see those similarities, the, the better we're going to, the more fun we're going to have. 
right? The better we're going to be at what we do, but also the better we're going to be for our members and our guests. This has been awesome. I want to I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. It, um, it's kind of that partnership thing where Angela and I have this going. I mean, we've been pretty psyched this year with Technical Blizzard and Nick's boot fitting, helping us out to keep the podcast going. And and um, with you coming on, the new CEO, we've had Michael Rogan came on with us again. Um, it's just been great, the team and that. And this is kind of that venue we wanted to have people have exposure, have access to our ed staff. Um, and I know you've talked about that and um, hopefully on another podcast, we'll talk a little bit on some stuff there of uh, what some folks can do to get access when they don't have ed staff around those kind of things. And, um, but thanks for coming. I think this really gives folks a good look at who Kathy Brennan is a little more into you versus the things you want to do, which I think is really great. And it shows that spark and that energy and passion for the sport. And um, it definitely energizes myself. I know it energizes Angelo also, doesn't it, buddy? Always a pleasure. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you. You, know, you guys, I, I want to thank you again for your time. And I, as, I'm, as you wrap it up here, I'm realizing that I, I did too much talking and not enough listening. And, and that's going to be a key thing on my listening tours, right? For me to stop talking and to listen more. And, and I know that all of the people that listen to your podcast, they love hearing your insights. And so um, thanks for letting me ramble on. Feel free to edit as necessary. And, uh, but this has been a great opportunity to kind of share um, kind of a little bit of my background, my, my personal history and some of the things I believe in. And I, to all the people that are listening to this, I really hope I get a chance to, to see or ride with you um, this winter. And, you know, please reach out to me. Um, and I, I promise I will listen more than I talked. <laughs> uh, love to hear what you've been doing. Yeah. Well, I think we pushed you a little bit today. We wanted you to talk. I wanted people, I know Angela that we talked about, we wanted people to get to know more you and, and kind of who Kathy Brennan was, those folks that haven't had the chance to ski with you. And hopefully they do. They get out and ski with you, get on some tele skis maybe with you and uh, have some fun. But thanks everybody out there for listening. This has been The Fall Line with KS and Company. And also big thanks to Technical Blizzard for sponsoring the podcast this year, making things happen. And also Nick's Boot Fitting over at Mount Snow. Get your boots fit. We're getting close to ski time.